Well, the truth of the matter is 10 minutes can make all the difference in the world. A couple of nights ago, I had uh, come home from the office, long day, and uh, wanted to get some uh, running in, and so I had uh, suited up and gone off, been in about six miles or so, and about the last couple of miles, uh, it was so hot, and uh, I was just drenched, and sweat was in my eyes, and it was burning, and I couldn't see, and all I could think of was to get home, get in the shower, and uh, so finished the run, went straight in the house, went to the, to, to the bathroom, uh, took off headband thing I had on, my eyeglasses strap, my knee brace thing, and as I always do, I put them in the sink, pulled the stopper up, squirted some soap in them, ran hot water in it to let them sort of soak while I got in the shower. So I got in the shower, I was in the shower about 10 minutes, maybe 11, and uh, when I finished, I turned the water off. And the way our shower is situated, facing the nozzle in the shower, puts the sink and the rest of the bathroom to my right, and I'm deaf in my right ear. And so I turned the water off, and then when I turned around to open up the shower curtain, I still heard water running. And I'm like, and so I can't see either without my glasses, and so I put my hand down underneath the spout there to see if the water, water wasn't running. And I opened up the shower curtain, and for 10 or 11 minutes, <laughs> the sink had been filling with water. And it was completely overflowing. There was a waterfall on our entire counter, constantly streaming. There was a half of inch of water over the entire bathroom floor. Things were flo Our little dog floated by. It was un... <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I panicked. I had no visuals here, but I had no clothes on. I'm in the shower, okay? I opened. I stepped into the water onto the floor. It created like a wave that went and... And the only thing I could think of, I have no glasses on. I can't hear. I have no clothes on. I open up the closet door there and I just start grabbing dirty laundry and throwing it into the floor in hopes that it will, uh, you know, you put a towel down in a half inch of water, it goes whoop and it, it weighs eight pounds. And now I'm like chucking these into the bathtub and uh, the whole time I'm, I'm, I'm sort of saying things I shouldn't say and praying at the same time. It's like this tension thing I do and I'm like, God, please don't let Cindy come downstairs. Please don't let her come downstairs. <laughs> Because the more I wiped up, the, it's like the wetter it got. And I thought to myself, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, that's, 10 minutes. And my whole life has changed. My bathroom has changed. My marriage has now changed. Everything has changed because of 10 minutes. To realize the significance of one year, ask a student who fails a grade. To realize the significance of a single month, one month, ask a mother who has a miscarriage. To realize the worth of one week, ask a person who steps across the line of faith. To realize the consequence of one hour, ask two kids who go too far in the backseat. To realize the importance of one minute, ask the businessman who misses his flight. To realize the weight of a single second, one second, Ask the person who just misses being killed in a car accident. To realize the meaning of one-tenth of a second, ask the Olympic runner who wins the goal. To realize the magnitude of ten minutes, ask me. <laughs> you read through the Bible. And the Bible 
has a lot to say about the long term, about the long haul, about eternity and the process and perseverance and persistence, a thousand years, a long obedience in the same direction, following Jesus and never turning back. The Bible has so much to say about the marathon race, about sustained momentum, about our lifetime as a unit, as a whole. But the Bible also has an amazing amount to say about the shorter periods of time in our lives, about the seasons and the minutes and the hours. The Bible says Jesus will come like a thief in the night, just like that. And that no one knows the hour or the day that he will return. The Bible has a lot to say about the single decision and the consequences of that single decision, about the split second, the moment, the instant, about now. The Bible has an amazing amount to say about today, this day, that you and I are involved right now in living. Our lives are made up of single days. I don't know if you think about this. I think about this a lot. Our lives are made up of single days. The day that you and I are living right now is not a dress rehearsal for our life. It is the real thing. Yesterday was the real thing. The day you lived yesterday, what you did, what you didn't do. Your attitude, your perspective, the challenges you faced, the joy you had, the disappointment that you had was not dress rehearsal for some future day to come. It was your life. It was my life. And the Bible says that yesterday's gone. It is history. There is nothing we can do, nothing we can do to relive yesterday, to redo it, to take it back, to change it, to fix it. It is gone. It is recorded in the books, in its decisions, in its actions, in its behaviors, and its consequences will be lived out today and every day for the rest of our lives. All because we lived yesterday. Yesterday is gone, and the Bible also says that we are not promised tomorrow. We live as though we are. We live as though we can expect it. But the truth is, we may or may not be here tomorrow. There are people who were alive yesterday, who thought that they would live today, who are no longer alive. There are people in eternity right now, in heaven or in hell, and they will stay in that existence for all of eternity because they banked on having today and they didn't have today yesterday. We're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We may be here tomorrow. We may not be here tomorrow. We don't know if we'll ever have another day to live and to breathe and to love and to serve and to dream. We just don't know. None of us are promised tomorrow. But what about today? What about this moment? What about right now? What about this period of time, this instant? The Bible says that today can bring growth and today can bring stagnation. Today can bring joy, today can bring tragedy, today can bring risk, today can bring cowardice, today can bring purpose, today can bring despair, today can bring clarity, today can bring confusion, today can bring hundreds of events and emotions and consequences and outcomes, and today can bring the opposite of those hundreds of events and emotions and consequences and outcomes. And the Bible says that today can make all the difference in the world, in your life and in my life. 
How we live today can literally change everything. How we navigate now, how we navigate this moment, how we navigate this day that we are currently living will affect every day from this point forward if God gives us those days. Whether we live with faith and wisdom and discernment and courage will in large part determine so much about not just today, but about the rest of our lives, however long or short that may be. How we respond today, how we decide today, how we dream and risk and love and speak and plan and forgive and work and relate and accept and obey and choose and give and embrace and confront and breathe and think and follow and lead and how we live this day can change everything. This morning we're going to begin a series for the next four weeks simply called Today. And I believe that this series has so much potential to change my life and your life. I think this series, I think for the next four Sunday mornings, what we're going to talk about and what I'm going to challenge you to think about and how I'm going to encourage you to interact with God has more potential to change us than just about anything we could ever talk about. For the next four weeks, we're going to explore how a single event or a single decision or a single response, or a single consequence, or a single day can literally change everything. Because the Bible is filled with stories that begin with a little two-word phrase. There are countless numbers of them in Scripture. Do, do a search on the computer and just put in the two little words, one day. And you'll be amazed at the number of stories that come up. The Bible has all of these stories that begin with those little words, one day. It's sort of the biblical equivalent to once upon a time. One day, Luke writes in the book of Acts, about three o'clock in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. You say, well, you know, that's a good story. Do you realize that on that one day, when this one man had one vision from God, that it changed the course of history? Do you realize that it allowed the gospel to not only be for the Jews, but that was the catalyst for the gospel being relevant for you and I today as Gentiles. One day, one vision, one man, one act of obedience. You read through the book of Judges and the Bible says, one day Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute. And if you know the story in the book of Judges of Samson, you will know that that single day seeing that prostitute changed the rest of his life, not for the good. And then you come to the book of Exodus, and the Bible says, one day, in a fit of rage, Moses killed an Egyptian. One day, one emotion, one minute of no self-control, and for 80 years, Moses has to deal with the consequences of what happened on one day. You read in the book of Genesis, and it says, One day Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, but he resisted her. One act of courage, though it would mean his job. One act of obedience, though it could mean his life. And it changed everything. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. One day, the psalmist says, in God's house is better than a thousand days anywhere else. So over the next four weeks, we're just going to talk about four stories in the Bible that begin with the words, one day, 
This morning, we're going to talk about how today my faith grew a little. And we're going to look at a story in just a few minutes that starts out, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And then next week, we're going to talk about today everything fell apart. Because in the book of Job, it says this, one day Satan and his angels came to the Lord and the Lord said these words, have you considered my servant Job? That changed the entire course of that man's life. One day. Then on the 19th of July, we're going to talk about today, I took a chance. And we're going to look at a story in 1 Samuel of Jonathan and his armor bearer, who one day, the Bible says, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, let's go over to the Philistine outpost and perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. And it changed the course of Israel's history. And then we're going to wrap up the series in four weeks by talking about today I did the right thing. And we're going to look at another story of Jesus and the disciples that starts out one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. One day, today, now. We never know when, we never know who, we never know where, we never know how. But one day, God can invade the reality of your life and my life, and He can change everything. One day, today, God can invade our existence and make this day a game changer. I don't know if you have the capacity, because there have been seasons in my life where I didn't have the capacity to think this way. There have been seasons this year that I didn't have the capacity to think this way. But what if, what if today was that day for you? What if you lived this day, just this day, as though this day might be that day for you? It might not be. You might go through this day on autopilot and it's the same as yesterday. But it might be. This might be the day that changes everything. What if you live today with that perspective, with that mindset, with that on your radar? What if today turns out to be the day that your faith grew just a little bit? Not a lot. Not leaps and bounds. Not going from a 3 on a 1 to 100 scale to a 48, but just going from a 3 to a 4. What if today your faith grew just a little bit? One of the things we learn quickly when we read through the Gospels in the New Testament is that whenever the disciples got near water, it was test time. You look through it. If the disciples got near the Jordan River or the Dead Sea or the Sea of Galilee, it was test time. It's look, you just want to shake them and say, guys, do you not see this pattern? If Jesus is there and there's water close by, you're about to get tested in the area of your faith. It happens like clockwork. If you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 8 because we have yet one more day when the disciples are near water and Jesus decides to test their faith. Luke chapter 8, beginning in the 22nd verse, the Bible says this. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. And as they sailed, the Bible says Jesus fell asleep and a severe storm came down on the lake such that the boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. 
And the disciples went and they woke Jesus up shouting at him, Master, Master, we're going to drown. But Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. And suddenly the storm stopped and everything was calm. This is an amazing story, not just for the snapshot that it gives us of Jesus, but for the snapshot that it gives us of the disciples. You see, Jesus, the Bible says, was both God and man. He was fully God. He was the Son of God with all the power and all the sovereignty and all the omnipotence and omnipresence and omniscience that God Himself had. He's a member of the Trinity, and as such, He is God. He is equal with God. The Bible's clear on that point, but the Bible also says that Jesus is a man. That Jesus experienced the same emotions that you and I experienced, the same feelings that you and I experienced, the same trials that you and I experienced. Jesus knows what it's like to be in human form. And most of us have trouble with that tension. We like to fall on one side or the other of that line. Either we're threatened by Jesus' divinity and therefore we just like to see him as a man, or we're threatened by his humanity. And we like to keep him in the realm of just being God. But the Bible doesn't give us that option. The Bible says he's God, he's man. He has the power of God. He has the humanity of man. And so this story, as much as any other, paints a picture of Jesus using both of these brushstrokes. You see, this situation takes place after an incredibly intense day of ministry for Jesus. He had been teaching. He had been ministering to people. People, just crowds of people had been following him everywhere he went, and he felt compelled by his compassion to minister to them, to reach out to them, to heal them, to, to teach them. And the Bible says he was just worn out. And so he tells his disciples, let's get in this boat and get out on the water. And couched between the lines is the phrase, because I've got to get away. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. That was his humanity. The Bible says he got in the boat, and as soon as he got in the boat, he went to the stern of the boat, Matthew tells us, and he put his head down. And he fell asleep. That's how tired he was. That was his humanity. And then you know the story. A storm comes up on the water. And Jesus, who at one moment is exhausted and sleepy and human, wakes up and he commands the wind and the waves with the authority and the power of God himself who created them. It's interesting that these men in this boat were experienced, skilled fishermen. And yet, A, they couldn't control their own boat, and B, this storm was so bad, they literally feared for their lives. See, the Sea of Galilee is situated about 700 feet or so below sea level, and it's surrounded, especially on the eastern side, by mountains and tablelands that form sort of a funnel. And so, in the middle of the day, in the middle of the night, on calm seas... In a matter of minutes, you can have a whirlwind type effect come down through the mountains, that cold air from the mountains, come down through that funnel between the tablelands and create such a storm on the Sea of Galilee, just like that almost. People that are on that body of water testify that this is not just, this is not just a story meant for dramatic effect. This really happens. And so these guys get out on the boat and somehow in a moment's notice, you've got a major storm. Matthew uses the word earthquake to describe this, the waters. The waters are so tumultuous and so churning that he calls it an earthquake. 
But while Jesus calming the storm is nothing short of miraculous, part of the story that I want us to really think about this morning is the interchange that takes place between Jesus and the disciples after Jesus wakes up and calms the water and the waves. Look at verse 25 of chapter 8. Then Jesus asked his disciples, where is your faith? And the Bible says the disciples were terrified and amazed at the same time. And they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now you've got to understand something. We've talked about this before. Jesus is asking a rhetorical question here. He doesn't really want them to say where their faith is. He knows where their faith is. Their faith at that point was almost non-existent. In fact, Jesus' rhetorical question really could be stated as a statement because he knows the answer. Jesus is basically looking at his disciples after this story takes place, and he basically is saying to them, Guys, you should have trusted me. Guys, you should have had more faith in me in this situation right now today. Guys, you know me. You should have trusted me. Because the deal is, Jesus was in the boat with them. And when Jesus is in the boat, there is calm. Oh, it doesn't matter if there are waves and there is water. When Jesus is in the boat, there is a calm. When Jesus walks with us through life, through the circumstances and the situations that we endure, through the storms of life, I don't care how rough it gets. I don't care how tumultuous it gets. I don't care how hard it gets. When Jesus is with us and we are walking and fully engaged with Him, there is a calm. Because wherever Jesus is, there is a calm. He is not bound by the laws of nature. He is not bound by our seemingly out-of-control circumstances and situations. He is fully God and yet fully man. And on this day... These disciples got taught a valuable lesson from the little phrase, where's your faith? Authentic faith holds fast patiently in the middle of storms. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean you don't die. But true faith, real faith, genuine faith holds, clings to Christ in the middle of storms and waits patiently because when God is in the boat, there is a calm. And so one day, this day, the disciples' faith grew just a little. Just a little. It didn't grow as much as it was going to grow later. There are other days in their lives where their faith took a bigger step, but on this day, in this moment, their faith grew just a little. Though they were terrified, they called on Jesus, they trusted Jesus, they clung to Jesus, where else are they going to turn? They asked one another, who is this? Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? On that day, their paradigm of Jesus got expanded just a little bit. On that day, their understanding of God's power and His sovereignty slightly increased. Their faith in Jesus to be who He said He was grew just a little bit that day. 
Their faith grew larger than it had been the day before. It wasn't as large as it was going to be some days later. But on that day, they allowed their faith to be expanded just like You know, somewhere along the way, we get the mistaken notion that God wants us to be totally perfect now. That God wants us to be all that we will ever be now. That God wants us to be completely mature now. That God wants us to be 100% forgiving now. That God wants us to be entirely Christ-like now. That He wants us to be absolutely yielded now, to be fully holy now, to be all-loving now. And we forget that we are works in progress. We forget that life is three steps forward, two steps back, and on occasion, two steps forward and four steps back. We forget that we're human. We forget that God is working in us to perfect us, to mature us, to change us, to grow us. And we buy into such a tragic lie when we think we have to be perfect today. Because God never requires us to be perfect today. God requires us to be fully engaged with Him today so that He can grow our faith just a little. God's not done with us yet, friend. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. And while none of us have arrived or will fully arrive this side of heaven, God challenges you and me to approach every day as the most important, potentially game-changing, life-changing day we will ever live on the planet. We dare not go through this day on autopilot. We dare not go through this day trying to coast or drift, thinking, you know, I'll grow tomorrow. I'll trust Christ tomorrow. I'll change tomorrow. I'll figure it out tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow right now. I don't have tomorrow. We have now. We have this day, right now, this moment. And God says to us, He says, look at this day not only as a gift from me, look at this day as the single most potentially game-changing, life-changing day you will ever live on this planet. Paul says, Paul was sort of, the Rambo of Christianity. If anyone had his act together, it was Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He could debate with the best of them. He was, he, was, he was a godly man. He writes this in his letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. He says, All I want is to know Christ and the power that raised Him to life. I want to suffer and die as He did. Why? So that somehow I also may be raised to life. I haven't reached my goal. And I'm not perfect, Paul says. I love this next statement. But Christ has taken hold of me. So I keep on running, and I keep on struggling to take hold of the prize. I don't feel like I've already arrived, but I forget what is behind and I struggle for what is ahead. I run toward the goal so that I can win the prize of being called to heaven. And all of us who are mature should think in this same way. And if any of us don't think in this way, God will make that clear to you. But, he says, we have to keep going in the direction that we're now headed. Every day, guys, every day of your life and my life is a day of potential growth or potential decay. Every day that we live on this planet 
We either move forward or we move backward. Every choice we make, every matter that we deal with, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant, either moves us toward God or it drives us away from God. No decision, no relationship, no choice, no action, no thought, no word, no fear, no faith is a neutral act. If you are a follower of Christ, even if you're not a follower of Christ, you cannot stand still and be neutral. You're either walking toward the person that you and God desire you become or you're walking away. You're either walking toward God or you're walking away from God. There is no such thing as neutrality in our existence. Everything we do, say, think, feel, no matter how small, is either moving us forward or backward. And God says to us today, He says, what if you were to approach this day? What if you were to approach today as the most important, potentially game-changing, life-changing day you will ever live on the planet? What if you allowed me, God said, to grow your faith just a little? A couple of minutes we have left. I want to ask us four questions this morning. And I want to encourage you to write them down. I want to encourage you not just to write them down. I want to encourage you every day for the rest of your life to take two or three minutes and to read these four questions because these four questions have an amazing ability, I think, to frame where we're at with Christ, to frame our growth, to frame what God is doing in our lives. You don't have to do this. You don't, you, maybe you don't want to grow. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe you had a really hard growth season last year, and now you're just, you know, hey, give me a break here. I just want to coast to this season. That, you know, your prerogative. Or maybe you're just like really sleepy and tired, and you just, you know, I don't think I can ride it. Whatever. But if you are serious about fully engaging with God, if you're just blowing smoke, Fine. If you're serious about engaging with the God who created you, these four questions will serve you so well if you will interact with God by asking these questions, I think, every day for the rest of your life. And so I'm just going to walk us through these. I hope you'll write them down. Because the deal is, sometimes we approach life like the girl in the drama. Sometimes we approach our relationship with God by trying to manufacture that relationship. By sort of trying to fake that relationship. Sometimes, sometimes we, 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 we approach our relationship with God in a forced way rather than living in the rhythm of grace in a relationship with God. Those things are so different and so opposite. And I think a lot of times we can go through huge long seasons of life and approach God like the girl in the drama. And God says, no, 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 no. Don't fake it. Don't manufacture it. Don't put on the veneer so that someone thinks you're something that you're not. He says, be real with me. Be authentic with me. Come to me. Let me work on you. Let me work with you. Let me work in you. And these four questions, I think, have the potential to just open up a new door for God to do that in our lives. The first question is this. How is God testing you right now? How is God testing you right now? In other words, in what area of your life is God challenging you to grow right now? I'm not talking about how he challenged you last month or six years ago or during that season of life when you were really spiritual and really grew a lot. I'm asking, 
How is God testing you, challenging you to grow today, right now? In what area of your life is God challenging you to trust Him, to let Him grow your, his, your faith just a little bit? And there are as many answers to this question as there are people and more. Maybe, maybe, maybe God is trying to teach you patience right now. Maybe He's trying to teach you to wait on Him. Maybe you're so afraid of waiting on Him because His timetable is never your timetable. And so therefore, God is wanting so much right now just to teach you patience, just to grow your faith a little bit in this one area. Maybe it's in stewarding your resources, stewarding your finances. We've been so encouraged every Sunday night uh, at Financial Peace University. There have been like 75 plus people showing up that are saying, you know, I want to know what God thinks about money and stuff, and I want to be able to steward that in some way, shape, fashion, or form, the way He asks me to. That is so encouraging. But maybe that's your area. Maybe that's what God is trying to teach you right now. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're involved in a relationship, and God is wanting to grow you just a little bit. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a family relationship, a family member, a family conflict. But God says, if you will allow me, I will grow your family just a little bit today. Maybe it concerns your past or your future. Maybe it's an area of sin or a habit or a desire. Maybe God is wanting to teach you today about himself. Maybe God is wanting to teach you today about yourself. But here's the kicker. If something didn't immediately come to your mind when I first read the question, how is God testing you right now? If something did not immediately come to your mind, it might be that you're not fully engaged with God right now. Might not be, but it might be. And it's real hard for our faith to grow if we're not fully engaged with God. I think just asking the question, God, how are you testing me right now? I think something, boom, just like that. If you are self-aware and you are God-aware, something came to your mind. So I just encourage you, and me, every day, let's ask that question. How is God testing me right now? How is God teaching me right now? What does, he want, what does He want me to learn? And see what He might do. Second question. How are you thinking right now? How are you thinking right now? So much of our thinking, so much of our thinking about God and our thinking about situations and our thinking about relationships and our thinking about our faith, so much of that is just the result of messy logic, emotional reactions, and cloudy theology. So much of how we think is just not accurate. It's not correct. You know, we, lo we live life. We love to draw lines. We like to draw lines and say, on this side of the line, it's good and right. 
And on this side of the line, oh, this is bad, this is wrong. And we like to draw those lines. Even when God doesn't draw the line, we like to draw the line. And then we like to live our life as close to the line as we can. If we can get real close to that line without stepping over, that's where we like to live so that we can sort of get the best of both worlds. I'm, I'm really close to the line. I'm still in the good. I'm doing right part. I haven't stepped across to the wrong or bad part yet. But boy, I'm as close as I can get without stepping there. And we think that this is where God wants us to live. And even if it's not, this is where we like to live and God says don't even go near the line don't even get close to the line how are you thinking right now we think and we become and if your thinking is about lines we're thinking wrong I think a better question to ask than what is right and what is wrong is what is wise. What is wise? What is the wise thing to do today? What is the wise thing to do in this situation? What is the wise thing to do in this relationship? What is the wise thing to do in this conflict? What is the wise thing to do with my resources? What is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do in light of my past experience? In light of what I know to be true about this situation or similar situations, what's the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do in light of my present circumstances? What's the wise thing to do in light of my hopes and dreams? I hope to become this person. I hope to accomplish this thing. I hope to be this. In light of those hopes, in light of those dreams, what's the wise thing to do today? That's how we should be thinking. That's the question that should be ringing in our minds. How is God testing you right now? How are you thinking right now? Moses writes in Psalm 90, verse 12. I love this verse. He says, teach us how short our lives really are so that we may be wise. Teach us how incredibly short a time we have on this planet so that we can be real wise in how we live. You know, James talks about life like a puff of smoke, poof, gone. The psalmist talks about life like a blade of grass that sprouts up in the morning and grows, and by evening it's scorched and dies. Moses says, in light of how short life really is, let's figure out how to live wisely so we can make the most of this life that God is giving us. Third question, what or who is tempting you right now? What or who is tempting you right now? I think one of the most sobering verses in the entire Bible is written by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this. He says, Be very careful how you live, for these are desperate times, so make every minute count. Don't be stupid, he says. Instead, find out what the Lord wants you to do. Find out what the Lord desires of you. Find out how the Lord wants to interact with you. Find out how the Lord wants you to grow. Find out how the Lord might want to expand your faith just a little bit today. You know, maybe you're being tempted today, right now, to coast or to disengage. Maybe you're being tempted to be self-centered. 
Maybe you're being tempted right now to not commit or to be apathetic. Maybe you're being tempted to try and push open a door that God has obviously closed. Or maybe you're being tempted to try and close a door that God has obviously said, it's wide open, God, run through it. What or who is tempting you right now? Maybe you're trying to take matters into your own hand. Maybe you're being tempted, being tempted by a person. Maybe you're being tempted by a desire. Maybe you're being tempted by a fear. Maybe you're being tempted by a worry. What desire or plan or growth is God trying to birth in you today and you're actively trying to thwart it? You're being tempted to try and thwart it. You're being tempted to go in the opposite direction. You're being tempted to throw up roadblocks that God has to go through. When God is saying, I just want to grow your faith today just a little bit. Let me do that just a little bit. And you're putting up all these obstacles and all these hindrances and you've got all these relationships and all these thoughts and all these things that you've just downloaded into your life to keep God at bay. What or who is tempting you to turn away from God? What or who is tempting you to settle for less than God's best for you? In what area of your life, in what area of my life, am I telling God, butt out, buddy? We don't say it that way. We say it in prayer. God, I love you. You have total control of all these areas of my life. Here are the keys to all the doors of my life. Could you please, God, find it in your grace and mercy just to butt out of this one area and let me do what I want in this one area, take matters into my own hands in this one area, leave me alone in this one area, let me put you in my rearview mirror in this one area. Please, God, just one. I'm giving you all the others. What is tempting you right now? Who is tempting you right now? To lock the door so God doesn't have access. That's the third question. How is God testing you right now? How are you thinking right now? Who or what is tempting you right now? Last question quickly. How are you trying too hard right now? How are you trying too hard right now? Here's just the truth about a lot of us in this room. A lot of us in this room, or at least some of us in this room, just need to slow down. We just need to slow down and let God be God in our lives. We just need to slow down and let God lead us. Let Him prompt us. We just need to slow down and let Him nudge and move in us. We just need to slow down and let Him correct us and love us and hold us. We just need to slow down and trust Him today. I love what Andrew Murray wrote years ago. He said, we have as little power to increase or strengthen our spiritual life as we had to originate it. All the exercises of the spiritual life, our reading, our prayer, our willing, our doing, have their very great value. But they can go no farther than this, that they point the way and prepare us in humility to look to and depend upon God Himself, and in patience to wait His good time and mercy. And then he says this, the waiting is to teach us our absolute dependence upon God's mighty working and to make us in perfect patience place ourselves at His disposal. We will never be successful 
at molding ourselves into spiritual maturity. I will never be successful at molding Mike Gothard into spiritual maturity. We'll only succeed at exhausting ourselves and wearing ourselves out. And then in the midst of our spiritual fatigue, we will begin to assume, hey, God must be worn out too. This shaper of our lives, this divine potter, this heavenly father, he must be as discouraged with us as we are with ourselves and as we are with him. That must be the way things are, that messy thinking again. But that's what we do. We take our emotions and our feelings and we transfer it to God. God must be really tired of me too. God must be really tired of me messing up too. God must be really tired of me not taking 10 steps at a time and instead only taking one step and then two steps back half the time. God must be really sick of that. He must be losing patience with me. God must really not want anything else to do. And we concoct this entire scenario and therefore we just go into coast mode, into apathy mode. But God says to us this morning, God says to you this morning, God says to me this morning, He says, be patient. He says, wait on me. He says, my hands are always on you, God says. He says, you may not be able to discern what you're becoming. It may seem like I'm moving way too slow for your own good. You may think that I'm improvising like you improvise when you think you know better than me, God says to you and me this morning. But he says, I know exactly what I'm doing in your life. I know exactly what you will one day look like. And God says to you and me this morning, right now, today, he says, I will not take my hands off you until you become exactly who I want you to become. What if you and I lived today, July the 5th, 2009, what if we lived the rest of this day as though God might grow our faith just a little? If you would please stand with me and I'll close. Father, I sometimes think I'm like a preschooler. I sometimes feel like a little five-year-old in kindergarten who is just amazed at the complexity of life and yet is a very simple being. I sometimes feel like we're preschoolers and kindergartens trying our best to figure out what it means to live, trying our best to figure out the relationships you've brought into our lives, trying our best to figure out all these desires and feelings and emotions that we have and we don't know what to do with and we don't know how to respond to very well, trying our best to figure out how to get through this day. And, and God, the truth is we're just so ill-equipped for that. I don't know what today holds. No one in this room knows what today holds. And so our prayer is like that of a preschooler. Just help us trust you today. Just help us cling to you today. Just help us just today 
to let you grow our faith a little. Thank you that your hands are on us. Thank you that you do not leave our spiritual formation, our mental formation, our emotional formation, our physical formation. Thank you that you do not leave that to chance. But you are actively involved in our lives to bring us to the point that you imagined before the foundations of the world were created by yourself. We love you. And we count it an honor to live this day that you have given us. May we steward it well. And may we bring glory to you as you grow us. Just a little. And we pray this in the name of Christ, our leader and forgiver. Amen. Have a great afternoon.